Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. My name is Dino Watt. I'm excited to have you here for yet another episode where we get to interview people in and outside of our industry that can help us get better and find the best practices possible for our business. And today we have a very special guest who is someone who is not necessarily in our industry, but we want her to be more and more, especially with what I get to do in my business. As you all know, we all focus on how to get better in our lives, both inside the business and especially outside. Many of you have had me over to your practices to do my uh, two-day presentation where I observe the team members. And when I sit with the team members on the second day, I say to almost every team, I don't care about making you a better employee. I think that would be the most boring job in the world. What I want to do is help enhance your life outside of the business, help you be better uh, mothers and brothers and sisters and friends and parents so that you'll automatically bring that into your office and to the office. And today we have a special guest who is going to help you understand a little bit more about how to do that within your own life as you are listening to this podcast, either driving down the road or uh, in your office know that the point of this podcast is to really help you just get better in all aspects of your life. And so today, I'd like to introduce our very special guest, Aaron Donovan. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dino. I'm really glad to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. And you have uh, were recommended to me by a, a friend in the business that a lot of people know. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, I love that the person who introduced us he has gone on his own journey of uh, coaching and understanding how to get better in his own life. And I'm just so grateful that you guys were able to connect and he was able to connect us. So uh, just thrilled to have you here. As we do on this show for every show, will you give us uh, your story? Tell us you know, where you come from, what you do, how you got involved in this industry and uh, anything exciting? Yeah. Um, so You know, growing up, I was kind of your typical overachieving student. I really wanted to create something important in the world. And, um, you know, I was very driven. And um, mostly, you know, when I look back at it now, I was seeking approval a lot. And, um, you know, I built a business around that, too. My very first business was all around college admissions, um, high stakes testing, important experiences for students to prove themselves basically. And um, what I came to realize after a number of years working in that realm was how human everybody is Mm -hmm. and um, how much we actually don't really care about what we achieve, but we're really truly seeking is love connection and uh, a feeling that we're okay. You know, that who we are is good and deep down that we're lovable. And um, So, you know, compassionately speaking, my business really started to shift gears and I eventually got to the point where it was a lot harder for me to focus on things like a specific test score to get into a specific college so that you could specifically achieve something that mattered and, uh, you know, mattered in air quotes. Right, right. (laughs) According to others, maybe. Right, right. And so, um, So my business and I started shifting into really working with people. I kind of stepped away from working with students in general and started working with everybody on how to completely be okay with who you are and where you are and and look at the places you want to grow, but not see those as, you know, deficiencies within yourself, but see them as 
beautiful opportunities to step into even greater strength. And, um, and also sometimes to look at why you want to grow in that way, because sometimes the motivation for people is not pure. It's not true. It's not something you truly want. It's something that you believe will get you something external that perhaps you may be seeking. So that has been the whole shift of my company and um, really starting to take a different direction in terms of how I work with people, you know, what we look at in terms of goal setting and performance for specific outcomes and really shifting and softening the whole experience of our, our trajectory, the whole experience of what we are trying to accomplish. Love it. I think that's so important. I love uh, basically the idea of redefining what success actually is, right? Like it's not the financial wealth. It's not the things you have, but what is that for you? And for some people, it, it is that for some people it's, uh, it's the success of a great marriage or uh, feeling like you're able to spend more time with your kids. And I love this, what you said here, I wrote this down, be okay with who you are and where you are. Yeah. So tell me for yourself, how did this kind of evolution uh, happen for you. It's not an overnight thing. Obviously, I just heard your story. We all heard your story, but there there tends to be um, a lot of uh, self-talk. Maybe I call it often baggage that is weighing us down from our past. How did you go through that emotional evolution? Yeah, some of that does require processing. You know, there were specific events that were hard for me as a child that I really did have to process. I can't say that I have processed those 100%. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes it's like I want to go down this rabbit hole of looking at the ways I'm still not processed. Yeah these things. And it's almost like I'm perpetuating self-hatred through that. Yeah. So sometimes you, you, you do need to process things and let them come up as they come. But another piece to it too, to be honest, is like to get out of that processing altogether and to start saying, okay, yes, certain things in the past happened. I can be compassionate for it, but I can also see the parts that it really hurt. I can grieve those parts, but now what? Like, what do I do with myself now? Because am I just going to be like perpetually a five-year-old unable to, you know, move myself forward or still blaming my parents for things that happened, you know, 30 years ago or longer. So it's, it's kind of like in some ways, yes, you must process these emotions, but in other ways I had to take a long, hard look at myself and say like, where am I falling into victimhood and acting like something happened to me? that I didn't have control over. And yes, of course, circumstances will arise, but we always do make the decision to, to internalize those things. So let's say your mother perhaps needed to leave you for five years, hypothetically speaking, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. let's just say that happened. It's like, yes, but who was the one who decided that that meant something about you? Right. You know, at some point, where is the ownership? So the first step is grieving, obviously. And like, but then the second step really has to be the ownership of your choice to believe that you were inadequate or your choice to believe that something was wrong or that you're not good enough or not smart enough or whatever it is that you created in that moment. The event was out of your control, but the belief wasn't the belief you culminated from that event was your choice. Yep. And then how you continue to perpetuate that through all of the decades is also yep. your choice. 
So, so the first step is grieving it. Yes. Acknowledging that it happened, saying it wasn't fair in some ways that it happened. It shouldn't have happened. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it would have been so nice if that didn't happen and acknowledging the part of you that wishes it didn't, but then also taking the ownership. And then the third step of it is really saying, okay, it's happened. I own it. Now what? Right. And then now what is actually the whole point that everyone wants anyway? It's like, we all want what we want. We've got some dream in our mind. We're trying to get there. Mm -hmm. So the now what for me really was this opportunity to say, okay, maybe I wasn't raised with perfect parents. I don't know anyone who could say they were. Sure. So if, if I were to parent myself now, maybe I wasn't raised in the perfect educational realm where people built my confidence. Okay. Well, if I were to educate myself now, what would I build? Who do I want to be today? And that comes into this whole third phase of like, okay, so what responsibilities am I going to take for the person I am today? Yes. And that's really, to me, the key is that responsibility piece. It's so true. I actually have um, a couple of doctors, uh, one in particular more recently, who, you know, they keep focusing on the glory days and how things used to be. And why did, you know, why am I able to have this great experience 10 years ago? And now things are different and they keep seeking to solve the puzzle of that question, as opposed to figuring out, okay, the truth is I am where I am. That is what it was. Now what? There's a great book called yes. And, and it's a, written by the people from Second City, the Chicago improv troupe that like Tina Fey and all these great comedians came out of. And the point is exactly what you just said. Yep. I'm going to grieve that thing. I'm going to recognize what happened and what next? Yes. And, and uh, I do think what's interesting, and I don't know, I would love your opinion on this too, is how, depending on the level, I guess, actually, actually, I, I take that back. I think it's depending on the person how long that, as you said, grieving process has to take, because really it can be just a decision like, yep, I acknowledge it. It wasn't great. wasn't what I hoped for or what I would uh, love to have had and moving on. And then there's other people who sit in that for years and years and feel like they either need to have some sort of major process or guilt or uh, I don't know, exorcism that comes out of them. Yeah. I think the grieving process takes as long as it takes it. This is coming from nowhere. So, so this is really beautiful. And I'm listening to it for myself, even as my own advice, I believe the grieving process takes as long as it takes for you to realize that it is what you wanted. Yeah. So what I mean by that, because it may Mm, sound a little confusing is like, we say we didn't want it this way. We're still fighting reality. Mm -hmm. So for as long as we are at odds with reality, we will always lose. Yes. And what we lose is our ability to move forward, our ability at happiness, our lightness, our playfulness. We lose our innocence. Um, so, So I think it takes as long as it takes for you to look at it and go, I am so glad it happened that way. I think that is truly when you're done grieving. We, everybody should be writing this down as I am. As long as we are at odds with reality, we will lose. That's a writer down right there. Yeah. Because um, how many of us are? 
Like I, I, I admit there are times where I look at the reality of my kids or yes. uh, my business and it, it never, never makes me feel better. <laughs> I always lose yeah. the fight. So um, I have an example that I use with almost every client I've ever met awesome. with. And it's because this comes up so often. I'll have someone say something about their mother. Like she should have taught me about a financial education. She should have given me a financial education. For example, something even small, like, okay, it would have been nice to have a financial education, but maybe someone is really upset that this didn't happen. My mother should have hugged me more often. My father should have worked less and been home with the family. There's things that come up from people. My ex-wife should have given me more sex. I mean, there's like all these things that come up. And what I always say is, okay, so I want you to imagine this. Um, that every night I call you Dino and I'm like, Dino, I'm really worried. Tomorrow is going to be the worst day in the world. And what, what might you say to me? Uh, that stinks. Um, like how I would normally respond or yeah, what? like if I just call you as a friend, if, I were to re- if you were to actually call me as a friend, I'd be like, why? Like, this is yeah, the why? Worst in the world. why? That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So you ready for this, Dino? Embrace yeah. yourself the sun is going to rise. And I hate when the sun rises every day, that sun (laughs) rises. And every day I try to make it stop. And no matter what I do, it's it, there's nothing I can do. I've tried my whole life to make the sun stop rising. And every day it's worse and worse. And in the summer, it stays up longer. Longer. (laughs) Yep. Now, if I were to say that to you as your friend, what might you say in response to me or think in your head? <laughs> I, I would think that's super silly that I would make that or that you would be that upset about the sun rising and had, had that much control over your life. And there's nothing you can do about it. Ah, and we might actually call that a specific word. What word would you call me to describe the me that's telling you this story? Uh, unrealistic. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes even insane. It's insane to let something like that affect you. Yep. And the whole point was exactly what you said is it's going to happen. It's out of your control. Anything that happened in the past literally is going to happen because it already did. Oh, you did. And it's out of your control. If I called you the next day and I said, I told you that sun rose, my life is over now. And I talked about it for the next 20 years. You would think I'm insane, but we justify our insanity by perpetuating the conversation, blaming others. And for some reason that's socially acceptable. And we get a lot of pity and applause for it. And so absolutely. So isn't it fascinating? The very things that we are holding on to are insane. We literally cannot go back. You know, people lose children Mm -hmm. and the rest of their lives, they, they lose their happiness, their point of living. It's like, it's the sun rising and the sun falling. You know, I have a lot of clients too. And I just think that right now, this is one of the most beautiful experiences. And I love to share it with your listeners, because if it triggers within them, this really deep knowing that everything's okay, a lot of people will come to me because they want to make more money. And I'll say, why? 
And deep down, like their eyes will get intense. You know, I like to have Zoom calls or in-person sessions because I can see their eyes. And it's like, they start talking about money. Like, I really want to make more money. I want to do this. I want to expand my business. I want to grow, grow, grow. And like, when it comes down to it, of course, I don't get there immediately. But what it comes down to is survival. You know, people are like, well, I want to survive. And, and that survival, they want such guarantees at survival that they feel safe and like secure. So I had a guy come to me last week and he said, well, I really want to make $300,000 a month. And his eyes were intense. And I said, why? And what it came down to was survival. And I said, you know, it's very interesting. We're all so obsessed with survival, but you know, what's actually the truth is that every single one of us will die. Survival is literally never going impossible. to happen. Yep. Yes. So we are chasing an impossible dream and trying to let money like back that unreality. There is no human being that I have ever met who has survived. I mean, for as long as they do, and then it's done. So it's irrelevant. Right. Yep. You know, and what came during that session too, I said to him, you know, concentration camp victims some of them survived despite the fact that they shouldn't have all of the odds were against them. They were worked to like, to the brink, barely fed, you know, maybe not enough water, no love, no time off, no, nothing that we think of as survival required. And yet some of these people survived. So is it up to us? What is surviving us? Is it really us surviving us or is there something deeper And can we actually let go to that something deeper and trust that everything else will be okay? Mm. This idea that we are in charge of our own survival, it's a lie. There is literally none of us who can stop the fact that we will not survive. Just nobody has figured that out yet. That's right. It's not going to, it's not going to, and it's not, we're all on the pathway to the end. Yeah. And uh, it's Gary Vee talks about that, right? The most uh, motivational words in the world should be, you will die. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I, uh, I I wrote down something here that you, that I wanted to ask you about that. When um, I have a friend who has a theory that I I actually sometimes buy into, not as often as probably he would like me to, but which is this: <laughs> is there are certain things that are okay just not to deal with or talk about, like from past or whatever. It's like it's okay. It's like Why are we trudging this up? I don't need to. I can move forward. It doesn't, if it's not hindering my moving forward, if it's not hindering the process of where I am now, why am I so focused on what's happening in the past? And when you were talking earlier about the idea of, you know, kind of breaking free from that or um, getting over it, if you will, that's what kind of came to my mind. Are there, are there instances where you see that in your pay in your clients where it's, it's, it's like, okay, yeah, you've moved on from that. Okay. We don't need to dig into this. Uh, maybe it's something extreme like abuse. Maybe it's something uh, like uh, an abandonment that where they're just per- personalities. I think some personalities can just be like, yeah, okay, I'm good. Um, I think it depends. Mm-hmm. I think if there's still a part of you that wishes it was different, then it's just suppression. Yes. So yes, I understand that there are clients who I will work on deep stuff with that. We never have to talk about it again. It's done. It's clean. Yes. Um, now it's confusing to me, to be honest, because today, just today I'm sitting here 
still mulling over something that happened a long time ago. And I'm going like, why is this still here? Mm. Can't I just move on? I just want to move on. Yeah. And if I were to give myself advice, which we're not always good at doing, we like to like feel powerless over our things. I would say the reason you can't move on is because your, your subconscious will still bring it up in every experience. It's going to bring to you experiences that will drudge it up. Mm. And the more we push down, the less authentic we can be. And so I think that the truth is, is that when things do come up, um, it's there for a reason. Now, if you have something that happened that you don't think about it, it's probably because you don't need to think about it. Like, you don't need to go searching for reasons to hate your parents or reasons that you're not succeeding. It's like, you know, just look at what's in front of you today. Yeah. That's what the universe wants you to focus on. Otherwise that would not be arising. So if it arises and you're just saying, okay, well, I'm not going to think about that today. I'm going to move forward. Then. Yeah. I think it's a challenge, but also, you know, sometimes it can be challenging to get to the point where we say like, I am totally okay with everything exactly as it happened. Yes. But until we do that, we're still fighting the sun coming up. Well, and I think that we live in a world, uh, as you said earlier, of the shoulds of people who might find out something about you or know your story, and they want you to feel like you should feel a certain way about it, right? Right. Like if uh, people, you know, find out that my, you know, dad left us when I was eight years old. Oh, well, gosh, I mean, how has that stuck with you through your whole life? It's like, oh, okay, he left him you know, moved on. And that's not my situation. I've dealt with it, but I'm saying there are people who can move on from stuff pretty easily that unfortunately, I think we live in a world where it's like, you need to talk about this in order to deal with it as opposed to, no, I've dealt with it. I'm good. Like, I don't have to have that grieving when you are talking with new clients or uh, uh, potential clients. Do you have some sort of, I guess, guide, maybe it's a personal guide, maybe it's an intuition of whether this person actually wants to move forward or not, or are they just looking for a place to, to lay their burdens down or not burdens down their complaints down? Yeah. You can usually hear it, um, in, in everything a client says Hmm. pretty much everything somebody says to you. And this is important because you, you, it's even true with your kids, your spouse, your patients, you know, whomever Hmm. you're working with every single person you deal with, is telling you exactly the truth about themselves, even if they're not using the perfect words. Most of us speak from a pretty unconscious place. We're not sitting there carefully selecting the words we say. So in just everyday speech, now you may need to go a layer deeper and then ask a question like, oh, that was interesting. You said that. Why did you say that? And and as you do, that really does uncover... um, you know, you start to hear little key things of like, oh, that's them not wanting to take ownership. Oh, that's them, you know, um, needing, needing a release of some kind of past issue. You know, you start to hear people will just throw in stuff about, you know, my teacher, when I was in second grade said blank. And it's like, why are they saying that? Well, they're saying it because it's arising, right? You know, like, so if someone is talking about the past, they're stuck. Yes. You know, well, when, when this happened in a past relationship, if they're talking about it, 
it means it's stuck. I don't talk about the stuff that I've processed. Right. The stuff that I've really come to terms with, it doesn't come up. So if and when you when you say that, you mean it it doesn't come up as something that stops you. You talk you can talk about stuff in the past that is processed and done. You've learned the lesson and you can talk about it as the lesson. Is that correct? Yeah. And some of them I won't bring up at all. So here's right. a lesson that I would not bring up. Mm -hmm. is I used to tell people, and I believed this, like my brain believed this, that if I didn't eat dinner at my friend's houses, I wouldn't have had dinner. (laughs) Well, when I came down to it, the truth was, was when I moved back in with my mother, when I was 10, she was a vegetarian and she never fed us meat and I liked meat. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to have the dinner I wanted. So I would pretend to other people's parents that like, I wasn't going to get dinner. Wow. And so for years, I told people that like, even oh, up wow. until like five months ago, I used that story. And then I stopped myself mid story. And I went, Oh my gosh, that's not true. My mom always fed us dinner. I just didn't want to eat pasta every night. I wanted chicken sometimes. Yeah. My friend was having beef this, I wanted it. So right. it was like, I created a lie. Almost every story that makes us unhappy is actually a lie that we're not clearly seeing yet. So mm-hmm. when I tell that, it's like, well, I would never say that story again because it's a lie. Right. Like I used to tell people my mom abandoned me. Uh-huh. Well, what I found out later when I actually talked to her was that it, she didn't abandon me. That there was a decision made with her and my dad and my stepmom, and she thought it was what was best because they had resources to, you know, provide for us, mm-hmm. and she didn't. So there was like, it wasn't like she just got sick of us one day. That was what I used to tell all of my ex boyfriends because I wanted them to feel like yeah, oh, six of us, sick of us girl. one day and left. <laughs> yeah, but I'm telling you all of that, you know, to to almost say the ridiculousness. Like I try not to say ever, my mom abandoned me. It's right. like okay. When my mom left me when I was five, right? Like I, I try to stick to the truth and, mm. and watch where my brain, I just really apparently love being a victim. I don't know what's up with that. Oh, I that's so unique. It's really great because when you're a victim, we all think we want to be happy, but actually some of us would prefer to be pitied. Some sure. of us prefer to be a victim because then there's no ownership. That's you right. Can, you can blame all of the world on the reasons you're not the person you want to be. And because we all live in a space of it's totally okay to be a victim because I'm a victim too. Right. And we can commiserate together. People and, and there are like things that victims love to get together and talk about. And there are even like victim support groups. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just I like know. it's all over the place. Like well, it's interesting because I see it inside of offices so often when doctors come to me and ask me, you know, oh, I got people gossiping or people who are, you know, little gangs clicks that are not um, happy with the other. It's like, oh, so they've been together commiserating and it's just expanding at a newer level we need to talk about why they are feeling, first of all, in a place that's safe, quote unquote, for them to commiserate with other people. And second of all, we need to address how do we deal with people who are in that much pain or that much fear or that much anger or that like all of that is pain anyway. 
And that's so, actually exactly where my business has been going. This oh. trajectory is the third stage that I mentioned is responsibility. Yes. What a lot of people want. And so, you know, when I go into a company and work with all their employees, mm -hmm. I don't actually teach them productivity or time management. None of that traditional stuff actually super matters. What does matter is people taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Now, if people are in responsibility, the, and we look at the numerous aspects where people can take responsibility, especially as an employee, yes. because a lot of people want to say, oh, that's not my responsibility. That's right. Oh, that's not mine. Oh, you know, it's not my responsibility to create a good culture here. So I'm allowed yep. to gossip. Yep. Whereas if we actually take ownership for who we are being at work, it completely changes the whole work dynamic, the culture of the environment. You change the culture, you change everything about it. You know? So it's really about taking microscopic ownership of your experience. And, you know, people talk about work-life balance. There's no separation between work and life. We spend a lot of time working. That's part of our life. So these people are saying like, oh, I want to be able to go home and not be at work, which is really them saying like part of work is a burden. If work is a burden in any way, it means that like if you're not being fulfilled by work the way you would be fulfilled by watching a Netflix show, it means you're not serving. Yep. Which means yeah. you're not taking responsibility for who you're being at work. You're not taking responsibility for the outcome, the actual environment of like, this is our office. This is our company. And then, and then putting the blame on, well, my boss won't let me this and blah, blah, blah. It's like all of this victimhood is so, so prevalent in work experiences. So it's really important to, to look at that, to really... I create a solid foundation for everything. It's, it's just so, so funny. We're having this conversation today. I literally just sent an email to a, a client, previous client who um, is getting more, just digging into the victimhood over and over and, and obsessed with just the wrong questions over and over and over again. And finally, I just had to say, listen, let's just make up a story about all of that stuff in the past and you can have it be true if you want it still leaves you with the problem, which is you mm -hmm. like you're still stuck with you. No matter what you can find out all the answers you want in the world, but you're still stuck with you. I love that you mentioned that about culture and about a relationship and about responsibility because everything, all culture comes, the nucleus of all culture is responsibility and ownership, all of it. And I, I do a lot of processes with core values and vision, and that's all amazing. But when it comes down to it, what I'm trying to teach the team members, sometimes, most of the times, very subtly, because I feel like when you point the thing out, sometimes they'll retract from it, right? Because mm -hmm. they don't want to have to see it themselves. But if I give them a skill set or a, a method on how they can you know, make better decisions, uh, have more ownership, uh, treat themselves more kindly, all of a sudden it's going to make them feel better about themselves and they'll bring that into the office and also in your culture completely shifts. Well, and so I love that you I think about you're that. absolutely right. It can be small stuff. You know, I went into an office, um, it was a, a dental surger, surgery clinic and the front desk woman, and this is not to say anything mean, but her hair was exceptionally dirty. Oh. And 
it's like, that's something that maybe someone wouldn't feel comfortable as a boss saying like, your hair is dirty. Right. Like even down to the, I am responsible in my hygiene. Yes. Because I am my hygiene. Who I am is exuding from who I am perceived as like, even just that small being, it's like, we're looking for these big grand ahas when sometimes it's just like, wash your hair, you know, like, because that creates a negative image of the responsibilities that are taken here at this clinic where, where we want to be portrayed as the clinic who's got it together, you know? And so it's like these little things of like, why aren't we taking care of the little things? And those are the things that add up to the big things because we think we want everyone to be the best and, you know, to have these great experiences, but experiences are made up of these little tiny micro nuanced experiences. When you put them all together, it creates the whole experience. Yep. And so I use that example because it's so visceral. And I think we've all seen someone with dirty hair sure. and like, why is your hair so dirty? You know, and, and of course it's not trying to judge that, but it's like, obviously you need to look at what part of this person is not able uh-huh. to do that simple task. You have to find those things. And it's usually shifts that need to be made. You know, people think that, they need to take responsibility for their money. It's like a company. Yes. The money is a big piece, but they're almost focusing on the wrong stuff. The money comes from the responsibilities in these little micro categories. And that's where I really think people are just off track in some ways. They're so focused on the end result without looking at what's creating that end result. It's just so interesting because I'm thinking about all the little micro responsibilities, right? Uh, you're not getting to work on time. Okay, so why aren't you taking responsibility for your time management right. or your driving or your ability to get up? Or maybe it's the responsibility of getting to bed on time so you can get up earlier. How come you're not, like and all of those are responsibilities. All of those add up to like, why aren't you taking responsibility in your happiness? Yes. So like I walk in and if my first image of someone at the front desk is this sour experience, dirty hair, sour expression. So, okay, there are some responsibilities being neglected. And that's what I always look for is where is responsibility being, you know, neglected or what is that called when you give it to someone else? Like delegated, delegated. That's the word. Mm -hmm. It's like Though none of that needs to happen. If everyone takes responsibility for themselves, you basically have a whole company of CEOs at that point. Yeah. CEOs care because they've chosen to care. And that's actually what makes them successful. We think that CEOs got successful and that's what makes them care. So that's what we think with employees is like, oh, well, they, when they care, they'll reach success. It's like- We've got to give them the responsibility so that they can create the success from that resourcefulness and that, and that actual ownership. That's a really great way of thinking about it, right? Like if you want to, if you want to really improve, I talk often to team members about guaranteed pay raises and one, and, and, and guaranteed non-pay raises. The first non-guaranteed pay raise is the excuse of, Hey, we've been breathing the same air for the past 12 months. So I deserve a raise, right? Like that's a terrible reason. But when you think about a way to guarantee yourself a raise, 
show me how much you actually care. And I will always give you a raise. Right. And that's in every micro responsibility. There are so many yes. to go down the road, your own education, your time management, your, as in this case, your hygiene, uh, how you're interacting with people, the, the conversations you're having, your own personal accountability. Like those are all the micro responsibilities that people just want to want to have taken care of for them as opposed to them taking that. Well, and I've heard people say, and just listen to the victimhood in this. And this is the stuff I teach employees because it's so important that they see this in Mm -hmm. themselves. Well, if my boss paid me more, I'd do it. I'd care if my boss paid me more, but they're, they're not seeing clearly. People get to CEO, not because they were given the money. So then they step up into the role. That's right. They stepped into the role. So they were given the money. That's right. So it's really, and the other thing about actually, it would be terrible if that's how it worked, that you get paid and then you care, because that means that someone else is in control of you. And the truth is, is nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be enslaved, you know, like, so that's slavery. That's they're saying, basically, I hope I'm a slave. Which, okay. But you say, you say nobody wants that. I think you're right deep down. But it's shocking how many people would choose that slavery over personal responsibility. Well, it's not shocking to me. And the reason is, is because we're raised to do it. Mm. So it's a societal thing that's cultivated within us, probably cultural a lot, too. Um, We're really raised to you know, the U S is a very individualistic society. Whereas you go to the East Asia, for example, China, it's very much like the family is uh, it's a, there's actually a word for it, like a collective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is a collective. The collective is more important than the individual. That's right. We're we're individualists here in the U S. And so, um, so as individualists, sometimes we, it, it, It can feel like a big responsibility. And I use that word with choice. Uh It can feel like a lot to have everything depend on you in, in other cultures where family and the society are revered. If they can actually produce more because it doesn't feel so burdensome sometimes, like they have people to diffuse some of the experience with. They're yeah. not just like this lone fish searching for meaning yeah. and this and that. They have meaning within their their group. They're a school of fish and they're, sure. they're schooling together and they're creating something together. So in some ways, I understand sometimes the burden can feel very heavy for us as yeah. Americans feeling like it's all up to me. You know, like I need to make it on my own. I need to be independent and strong. Those are virtues that are really um, lauded in the U.S. Yeah. And the thing about it is those are not virtues that actually support a thriving company, because if you have individualism in that sense, which is innately given to us through society, it's not like we chose it. It's just how we were raised. Yeah. Um, it automatically creates disloyalty. Um you know, shirking of responsibilities. You're like, well, that's not mine. He gets paid for that. I'm not paid for that. And that's right. And so in some ways we have to teach collectivism if you're working together, (laughs) you know, if you're a solopreneur, you don't need to learn collectivism, but if you're in a company working with other people, you need to learn it. Well, um, I have a good friend, Garrett, who always says, if you are hiring or asking people to do a task, if hiring for asking people to do a task, 
you will create enslavement if you have people create a role to where they're a part of that role, part of the play, you know, people are, and when you're in a role, you're playing a part of the play, then you actually create freedom because you're working together and you're not expecting somebody just to do the thing. You're asking them to be a part of, like you said, the collective. I like that idea of here we are collective. I talk often about how I don't use the word staff. I use the word team, right? Because teams win or lose together. Staff is an infection nobody wants. So so we use that as like, okay, well, we want to be a team. I I don't often see championship teams where people, you know, come to the court or the field on their own time. Uh, They do their own thing. If they're tired or they got, you know, babysitter to go uh, relieve, they get to leave early and like, Mm -hmm. no, we win or lose together. And so that collective idea of, Hey, I'm doing this because I want to make sure that everyone else wins too. Yeah. You know, someone exceptionally wise uh, who owns a company said to me once that he doesn't hire based on accomplishments. He hires based on principles. Mm. And so he won't ask questions about anything they've done in the past at other companies. He'll ask them things about family or this or that. He wants to know their principles. And the thing is, is that a lot of principles, as I've mentioned, but I'll say again, because I actually think this could be perhaps the most essential thing that we say on this whole podcast Mm. is principles of the U S are individualistic. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of values that we create, like, you know, strength, um, being independent, certain things are values that may not always serve a company. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is I like to go in and create a company set of values that are, will also shift their values at home, Mm -hmm. which means if they're married, it's going to create a stronger family for them. That's right. Not just, you know, these values and principles I don't say values because it sounds a little almost religious and it's not. No, it's I get principles it. No, of hygiene. Values, expectations. Yeah, that. exactly. Exactly. Principles of hygiene, as I mentioned before, you know, yeah. um, opportunity. People think opportunity comes to you. It's like, no, you are opportunity. Mm. Everything you do, who you're being. So we show, so we need to be able to demonstrate that to people as to have them really embody that. Health, um, you know, things like radiance. Yeah. Just vitality, you know, and then also things like family and that family essence can come in at work. It can come in here. I like to say, so all of my principles I create with my teams are, I am responsible in blank and it's Mm. usually my blank. So I am responsible in my hygiene not for my hygiene, because that means it's out there in my hygiene. I am responsible in my time, Mm. not the time out there, but the stuff that's here and and things like, um, I am responsible in my opportunity again, four makes it feel like it's not a part of something I can treat, but it's like, I need some external. And what I, what I really do is you know, the key one is I am responsible in my responsibility. And so like to teach responsibility sounds like such a basic thing. Yeah. 
But when people take responsibility for themselves, their lives, their happiness, their work, their outputs, you know, if you look around, you say, well, who is responsible for this? And everyone's pointing to each other. Everyone in your company should raise their hand, no matter whose project it was. So true. Like that means you've got a company of CEOs. Yep. And that's what you really want. Wow. That is awesome. That's so powerful. Jeez, Louise, I can't believe the time has gone so I fast. Know, this, this is has amazing. Been so lovely. Okay. So you've obviously given us some great nuggets. I think there's a lot of writer downers there for so many people. <laughs> as we do at the end of our show is we always have our six rapid fire questions that we love to just ask every, every uh, uh, guest. Would you be willing to play? Of course. Awesome. So what do you think is the most expensive thing that business owners are missing in their business? I think the most expensive thing is their employees not taking responsibility. Mm. I think that if they had that, they would make so much more money so that may not be an expense that they are spending. It's the money that they're not creating because of opportunities they're losing. I love it. Uh, Is there a book that you believe every business owner should be reading? Um, I really like the book, uh, a happy pocket full of money, <laughs> a happy pocket full of money. Yeah. It's by, um, I don't even know how to say his last name. Jikandi, I think is how you say it. Um, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's a great book. It just puts things into perspective into your own realm of like personal power and money. And it's, I think that we all try to like make more money and it just, to me, it's a little bit easy. And I feel like all of these, I, I of course have read books like think and grow rich, but there's a lot focused on like what you produce, what you produce, what you produce. And I still think that production naturally happens amazingly when you're feeling and being differently. So, Mm -hmm. so I don't think that you need to focus so much on output, but like, if you focus on who you are experiencing yourself as that actually will create the outputs you want. No, I, I, that's, that's a really great thought there. Um, in my book, the practice RX, I focus a lot on team culture and team performance as the foundation for business growth. What do you see is the biggest challenges that business owners are facing with their teams and their office culture? I think um, the individualistic you yeah. know, society. That's a really norms. great point. I really, that really makes me think like I'm going to ponder on that quite a bit because that's a really great point of the individualistics. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying the U S is wrong, but it's, it doesn't necessarily create cohesion, which to me is, and this is, these are my opinions. I don't have any, like, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, I think that's why a lot of the family structures are struggling in the U S there's a lot more divorce happening than in a lot of other cultures. And we may even look at some of those cultures as backward or something like that, but, but it's actually can be very empowering to be part of a collective. And I think a lot of us are seeking belonging deep down. So if you create a company culture where people really feel like they belong, they're part of a family, you've got employees for life. You're not going to lose anyone. You're going to build strong members. Listen, I used to tell my kids this. I'm like, Hey, there's a reason why uh, arranged marriages still work because you've got two people who love you dearly picking out that person for you to say, I, I want the best for them. I'm not going to say, you know, that I'm going to arrange marriages, but I know, was going to say, who did you pick for them? I wish uh, <laughs> to your point, you know, to your point though, the ability to be able to look at some of these older cultures or these different countries and be like, Oh, because of the collective, they're getting this result. It's pretty interesting. Yes. And they I, actually feel safe in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of clients I work with deep down, 
they really don't feel safe. And it's because we are, and I'm going to say this with an exclamation point ahead of time, Mm -hmm. tribal people. We are our natural state. You have to really hear this. Our primal state is tribal. We are not meant to live isolated in our own caves. That's not how we survived for for millennia. So you have to understand that actually people are seeking this. You create this in your company. You will have people who are dedicated to you, willing to die for you and your company. You have just people who love you, who respect you. That is more valuable than any productivity training you're going to give them. You know, you create a culture where you feel at home. They're going to do everything for you. They're going to, totally they're going to move mountains for you. Yep. Totally agree. Okay. So how can listeners reach out to you, uh, email or your website? What would be best? Yeah. Um, you can email me, uh, Aaron at fairytaledreamlife.com. If you go to my website, it's kind of outdated because I'm not super techie, but I will try and update it. So <laughs> don't look at my website. Just reach out to me, email Aaron at fairytaledreamlife.com. Um, and yeah, it's been so lovely to be here, Dino. Thank you for. I have two more questions for you. Oh, so okay. That, yeah, that's the that's the fourth question. The two more are number one: What's the best advice that you've received in life or in business? Mm, best advice is to stop blaming other people. <laughs> love it. I love it. And then number six, uh, the last question is: What's the best resource or tool that you believe every practice owner or business owner should be using to grow their business? That's a wonderful question. Mm, me. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who can look at it from the outside and give absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, this has been really a joy and a pleasure to hear from you, to hear your wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I just loved being here and it's always good to have an experience and get to express the thoughts and the, you know, the ideas that are coming up at the time. So I just so appreciate that uh, opportunity. Thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, everybody, once again, hopefully you have been filled with some great ideas, some best practices that you can bring back to your business and share these with your friends and colleagues. And speaking of sharing, thank you so much for all of you that share this podcast with your friends and family and your colleagues to let them know that this is a place where you're gonna find just gems like you've heard today. Remember, our goal here is always help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks so much again for listening to the ProPreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.